Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you all today. Our first time in Wells. It's been really lovely to be here and to spend time with Pastor David and Liz last night over a delicious meal. I'd recommend it. Um, It was really good to be here today. I'm just going to read the word from Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 to 13. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm just going to pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word today, and I just pray now that you would just anoint Stuart to bring your word, and it would just bring revelation and truth to every person in your house today, and it would help them, it would change them, it would bring hope, it would bring peace, it would bring joy in the midst of all circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, darling. Well, good morning. As Amanda said, it's lovely to be here with you. Our first visit to Wales, I kind of reiterate, great night last night, just enjoying Dave and Liz's company, and we're delighted to be with you today. And you will recognize the passage that um, Amanda read for us. It's taken from Matthew's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous discourse from Jesus, an outline really from Jesus of such valuable principles for life that you can dig back in there, even here in the 21st century, to discover so much of what Jesus would teach us about how we should live. What's interesting when Luke actually talks about this passage in Luke chapter 11 verse 1, he says that one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place and he'd finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Anybody else would want to say today, Lord, teach me to pray. We understand the power, the import, the significance, the value, the benefit of prayer, but maybe like me, you find, and even after all these years of walking with the Lord, I still haven't mastered it in any way, shape, or form. But it's out of this request, Lord, teach us to pray, that Luke records Jesus then giving this great prayer that many of us learned from the very smallest of uh, ages that we were when we went to school. I've grown up in an Elim church, so I can remember learning that maybe in Sunday school, but certainly when I grew up in school, in the school system here in the UK, we prayed that every day. We had school assemblies, whether through my infants, my juniors, or my senior school years. That's what we did, and we know that's probably not the case, apart from maybe in church schools today across our nation. But it's not a prayer that's designed to be a religious mantra. It's not something we should say thoughtlessly in many respects. And unfortunately, I suppose the downside of it being a formal part so very often 
of established religion or of those school assemblies we grew up in is that people learned to say it. It was just like saying a little bit of Wordsworth or some kind of little bit of poetry that we might have learned over the years. But that's not really what Jesus was intended. Because it is without doubt set in its context in Matthew 7. It's a prayer that's designed for those who wish to live the life that Jesus called them to live. The author Frederick Maurice said this, that the Lord's prayer may be committed to memory quickly, but it is slowly learned by heart. What we can remember is a lot easier than what we live. We can all remember how we should live, what our life should look like, but to do that is something quite different. And you can read and quote this prayer, but so very often, living out its principles is more of a challenge. And I want to focus on one particular part of it. And that's that phrase where Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the part of the Lord's Prayer that connects us with something other than ourselves. It's the part of the Lord's Prayer that takes us outside of our three-dimension empirical realm. That means a realm that we can understand with our five senses. It's the part of the Lord's Prayer that takes us beyond and above the furthest point in the galaxies that the Hubble Space tele, um, the Telescope can, can see, which is pretty deep into the dark depths of the universe. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because the question is, where's heaven? I remember back in my Bible college days, one of our lecturers who Dave and Liz will remember, Julian Ward, um, a brilliant mind, um, a philosophical thinker who was trying to stretch our imagination as students and asked us the question one day, well, where's heaven? And you start thinking, well, head to Jupiter, turn left, head to Mars. I probably got our planetary system wrong there, by the way, but I was having a go. But we know because telescopes have looked beyond that. Yuri Gagarin in the early 1960s, the Russian cosmonaut, went to space and came back saying, I've been there and I didn't see God. How foolish a thing to say. God saw him as he entered into God's back garden. The reality is when Julian was getting us thinking that actually we can't understand where heaven is and he said something I've never forgotten. He said, do you imagine that maybe heaven is not out there but it's somewhere around us here? And suggested that maybe in this three-dimensional world that we see, we hear, we smell, we touch, we encounter, we taste with our senses, that somehow heaven is a reality that we cannot actually plug into because we're locked here in space and time as human beings. But somehow heaven is the place we pass into when we pass from this realm. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because if we were to look in the book of Revelation and the pictures of heaven, it's grand, it's glorious, it's golden, it's diamonds, it's mystical, it's magical, it's whatever you want to suggest. But it is something we cannot comprehend. And Jesus teaches us when we pray, we're stepping outside of ourselves, our limitations, the realm we're in. 
Davis led us in prayer there and we're praying as we did earlier in the service for something in the lives of those who have need today or in hospital or are sick for something outside of what we can give them. Because if we could give it to them, we'd be there now giving it to them. Well, what kind of people would we be? But your kingdom come is saying there's some things we can't do, some questions we can't answer, some needs we can't meet. So we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer, your kingdom come, he opened up a whole new way of us seeing life the life that we live and the place that we live it. The psalmist says in Psalm 103 and verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. That's worth an amen this morning. His kingdom rules over all. I'm not sure where your life is. I don't know any of you really in the room, apart from a couple of faces in the room that I do know. But what we know today is his kingdom rules over whatever we're experiencing, whatever you're facing, your kingdom come. Whatever problems, your kingdom come. Whatever physical diagnosis we received, your kingdom come. Whatever financial crisis we face, your kingdom come. Whatever hopelessness we see when we put the news on of whatever channel it might be, your kingdom come. Because this is the story of creation and time in which we live in. This is our story, this limited life, measured in decades. And yet the God story can't be measured in time because he created it. Genesis 1 verse 2, there was morning, there was evening, the first day. The first mention of time actually comes after, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Time was the first thing he created, morning and evening, a way of measuring, using the moon, using all the the day and the night, a way of measuring something, but he's immeasurable. Let's not forget that. And this is what Jesus is doing here in this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Visit this world with who you are. And that's the kingdom story. And I want to unpack the kingdom story in a particularly applied way this morning. In the first instance, by by talking about the kingdom of God. Because what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? We're not talking about the kingdom as we understand the kingdom, the united kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I was filling in online a a visa application on heading out to Ghana in April with one of my NLT colleagues to represent Elim at the Church of Pentecost Conference, a movement in Ghana we've related to for many, many years. And, uh, you know, you have to scroll all the way down to the U's, don't you, when you do your nationality to the United Kingdom. We understand kingdom in that sense. For many years, Amanda and I uh, and and others from our church visited the kingdom of Swaziland to do missions work. It was a a nation that's now called Eswatini, but we used to go to the kingdom of Swaziland. We know what a kingdom is. It's a geographical place, but not here. The kingdom is about authority. 
And the Greek word that's used in the New Testament particularly for kingdom is the Greek word basileia. And it primarily speaks about the rule and the reign and the authority and sovereignty of a kingdom. But most specifically, it speaks about the authority of the king himself. Real authority in any kingdom doesn't lie in the structures or the geography, but in the king. And today we need to declare that the central feature of the kingdom of God is the king himself, King Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, written on his thigh on his return. He has this name, the King of kings and the Lord. That's good news, by the way. Could you tell your face is good news just to help me? That's, that's better. Thank you. The central feature of the kingdom, when we think about the kingdom of God and we use that phrase and it's, it's used and it became trendy for seasons in the Christian church, it's all about the kingdom, it's all about the kingdom. It's about the king. There is no kingdom without the king. Where Jesus is central is his kingdom. Where he is ruling, he is reigning, where his authority is sovereign, the kingdom comes. Jesus came preaching saying this, the kingdom of God is near. This isn't another invasion like the Roman invasion. This is Jesus saying, hello, I'm here. The king is among you. And where the king is, you'll find the kingdom. One of my favorite passages that reveals something to us of, of Jesus is Colossians 1 verses 15 to 17. That the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It's always about him, folks. It's all about him. God's kingdom is his rule, his reign, his authority. It's the government of God over all things. When we pray, your kingdom come, it's because we recognize the injustice and the inequality and the imperfection and the impurity of all earthly kingdoms. And we yearn for God's kingdom to come, for God to rule and reign. There have been some pretty substantial kingdoms in the history of humanity. We go just pre-Christ to Alexander the Great and then the Roman Empire, the Roman Kingdom as it were. And we come through the ages and we, we see all these kingdoms that have risen and fallen, all these despots, dictators and rulers who've governed with fear and with power and gone for wealth and dominance. And we think of names that once brought fear to the populations of their nation. Whether we're just thinking in the 20th century of the, the kingdom, as it were, in the, the Russian Revolution, and Stalin and Lenin's kingdom. And we think of Hitler trying to build a kingdom across Europe and across other parts of the world. And we come into the latter part of that, that century, we think of Idi Amin and his kingdom. We think of Pol Pot in Cambodia and these despots and dictators. But but you know what? They're dead and their kingdoms died. But the kingdom of God, governed by the king himself, still rules in heaven 
and on earth. And that's what gives us hope when we look at our nation, our world today, whether it is Vladimir Putin, whether it is the dictator in North Korea, whose name I always forget, Jong Jing-un, something like that, I think. All these despots, these dictators who govern with fear and tyranny, we declare today as God's people, Jesus is King of the nations, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said to him, have you made these statements about yourself? Jesus says, you know, my kingdom is not of this earth. Otherwise, my disciples would take up arms and they'd fight. And just hours later, Jesus brings the kingdom. But you know how he brought the kingdom? By defeating the prince of the power of the air. Because since the garden, since what we read in Genesis 3, where humanity seceded the power given to them in creation, to Satan through the sin that they committed... The only way that the kingdom could be reestablished was with the dealing of human sin so that the kingdom could come. And on the cross, in what seemed the greatest defeat of its day, the greatest victory was achieved. And Jesus the King hung on a cross for humanity. And there he not only carried our sin, but he carried God's anger as wrath against our sin. It's the good old doctrine of propitiation. Love that word. You'll find it in Romans. He takes God's anger and sin against, and and wrath against sin. And at that cross, he declared forever defeated the power of sin and the kingdom came again. And he rose the third day after that, victorious over power and sin and death and the grave. And so John could record in Revelation chapter 1, That Jesus says, hey, do you want me to tell you who I am now? I hold the keys of death and hell and the grave. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes as believers, we just need a little bit reminding what this kingdom is. There's nothing on this planet that can defeat the kingdom of God. No ruler, no despot, no tyrant who's ever existed or will come, and they will until the return of Jesus, that's for sure, because I've read the end of the book. Even if that's the Antichrist himself, the tyrant of tyrants, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, because I've read the last chapter. And boy, it's brilliant. The kingdom comes, the new kingdom comes, the throne and the river that flows from the throne through the city bringing healing to the nations, the kingdom. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And it's godly to look beyond our own concerns and our own needs and grasp the big story of God's plan to redeem all creation and bring all creation under the benevolent, loving, gracious government of Jesus, the King. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're asking God to intervene in our world of injustice and to bring mercy and hope and joy and peace. Jim Wallace, the author, says that the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to inaugurate, is meant to create an alternate reality in this world and ultimately transform the kingdoms of this world. Here in this great, beautiful city of Wells today, as we're worshipping, we're together 11.30 on this Sunday morning. 
people are struggling with the kingdom that they're living in. It's a kingdom of despair. It's, it's locked them in. They're in prisons of discouragement and despair. And that's not just those who are trapped in poverty, but those who are trapped in wealth. And they found that there's no hope and there's nothing beyond it and there's, there's just despair and there's no significance to life and no value and no meaning. And they can have everything and they can have wealth and possessions and, or they could be sat today home, hope, homeless and hopeless. The reality outside of the king, there is no hope. And when we pray this prayer, we're not asking God to do something that's only possible in the future return of Jesus. We're asking for God to come and bring transformation in our world, in our community, whether that's for Amanda and I in South Birmingham or for you here. That's the kingdom of God. But what about the kingdom of God in me? Because this isn't just a global or a cosmic prayer. It's a personal prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The, the Lord's prayer, although some commentators suggest we should call it the disciples' prayer because he taught us to pray it. It goes into such personal requests of God, to God for God to provide for us and for God to forgive us and for God to help us to forgive others. And so it's not just cosmic, it's personal. It's a prayer that actually, in all honesty, is asking God to displace my kingdom and replace it with his kingdom. John the Baptist summarizes it so beautifully when he says, and we read it in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must become greater and I must become less. That for me is the ultimate challenge of discipleship. After all these years of walking with the Lord and in May next year, I'll have been following Jesus for 50 years. I got, I got saved at minus 10. And... Um, takes a while for that one to, to settle, just lightens the moment for, for us. But, but John the Baptist tells us that this is the challenge of all challenges, that he must be greater in my life and I must be less. And he modelled it in his life. And your kingdom is a place you've arranged everything to suit your plans and your purposes and your priorities and your values. It's an environment arranged exactly how we like it how we want it to be. And we all have our own little kingdom, our own little set of priorities, things that we like, things the way we like to do things and things that we value the most. And there's not necessarily anything particularly wrong with that. That's just called being an individual. That's just living life. And in one sense, we do that. And we have the things that matter most to us and the things we put on, on the real priority places in our lives. But when we pray your kingdom come, we're recognizing there's one person who has the right to displace all of that in preference to himself, and that's Jesus. And I want to show you how he did it too. Because he didn't ever ask us to do something he hadn't actually done himself. And Luke records in Luke 22, and goodness me, it's only just been Christmas, but we're only a couple of weeks away from Easter. <laughs> and I'm sure this will be part of your Easter reflection because in Luke 22, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read these words. It says, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Father, dethrone me and be enthroned in me. 
This is Jesus. This is God who's come and cloaked himself in flesh. It's one of the moments we see the humanity of Jesus so much more clearly. That in this moment, knowing what was ahead of him, this is still the omniscient God. He didn't lose any of that understanding of the reality of who he was. He is God in flesh and he sees what's ahead of him. And just like you and I, if we see pain and difficulty ahead of us, we're saying, please know God. <laughs> you know, we're a little bit like, you know, that, that story, we've read it, we have read it to our children. You know, we're going on a bear hunt. You ever read the story? We're going on a bear hunt and they're going to, and oh, we can't, can we go around it or can we go under it? Can we go over it? Oh no, we've got to go through it. And that's the moment you realize we have to somehow dethrone self so that God can live in us. And Jesus says, not my will. He says, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done. And let's not forget the enormity of this moment. Had he stepped back, we will be lost for all eternity. He was the only one. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. No wonder we sing how marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Your will did be done, your kingdom come. This is the ultimate prayer of surrender. Because praying this prayer recognises we're now citizens of a greater kingdom. And I'll tell you something else it recognises, folks. And Paul uses an illustration in the New Testament. He writes to the church at Corinth. We recognise that we do not own ourselves any longer. Paul uses the picture of the slave market, only too familiar with him as he travelled on his various travels around different parts of the Roman Empire into what is now Turkey, into those kind of Greek nations that have been overwhelmed by the power of Rome's uh, empire. And he's familiar with the slave market where slaves are paraded and people are purchasing these slaves and they're standing in their chains and the slave trade was just considered normal. It was part of going to the market to get your vegetables and whatever. And people purchasing slaves and he uses that picture of the slave market and he says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. And the reality is whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, whether I'm comfortable or uncomfortable, if you own the name of Jesus as Lord, this is not your life. It's his. He kind of gave us back free will. We didn't have it before. He gave it us after. He gave us the choice, the determination that somehow we could exercise choice out of love. And obedience is only obedience when you do it out of love. And praying this prayer recognises that we are kingdom people. Albert Schweitzer says there can be no kingdom of God in the world without the kingdom of God in our hearts. Think about it for a moment with me. How is the kingdom represented today? The kingdom is represented by kingdom people. The kingdom of God is in your place of work tomorrow because you're there. The king lives in you, and where the king is, the kingdom is. The kingdom is here today because we're here. Because the king lives in us, and where the king is, is where the kingdom is. Whatever we do, wherever we go this week, we are representing the kingdom. Paul would say again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, we're ambassadors. We're going on behalf of the nation of which the king is king. Father, may your kingdom come in me 
I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up to this. But I'm going to ask you in this moment to be making an internal decision and saying, as, as I find I've had to in recent weeks even, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not an easy process to get on your knees before God and say, well, Father, not my will, yours be done. Because when we pray your kingdom come, are we ready for God's authority, sovereignty and will to reign in our life? We're good at talking about it, let's be honest. And as Pentecostals, we're even better at singing about it. I remember uh, our former general superintendent, Wynne Lewis, I kind of point at John because I knew his, his dad was a, a compatriot of, of Wynne's. And Wynne used to say, the Pentecostals don't tell lies, they sing them. Let your kingdom come, your will be done in me, O Lord, sovereign Lord. You may not know the song, so don't sing it with me, because you don't know it, so you can't. I can sing it. We can, Neil can lead us, or we can sing all the songs, and we're good at that, because when there's music to it, and we can lift our hands, we can smother the reality of the question. Can I live it? When we go home later, can I live the kingdom? That's where the rubber hits the road in Christian discipleship. And in the same sermon that Jesus taught this prayer, he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to. Do you remember that passage? Look at the birds. They don't worry. They don't store up in barns. Your father feeds them. I mean, it's true, isn't it? We, we, we have birds, as you do, coming in out of our garden. We even have foxes decide coming in our garden. Our granddaughters love it. We have to capture a picture of the fox as they come in through our garden. And the worst thing you do is feed them because they come back, isn't it, you know? But, um, but when did you ever see a bird tapping on the window saying, can you spare a bit of that toast that you had this morning for breakfast? Because Father's provided for them. It's a cycle of life. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about clothes, what you wear. Solomon, not even Solomon, Jesus says, in all his splendor was clothed as beautifully as the lilies of the field. And your father knows what you have need of. So seek his kingdom. That's the number one thing, folks. It's not that your needs are irrelevant because your father knows about them before you ask for them. So seek the kingdom. You cannot tell him anything he doesn't already know. I mean, you've ever tried that one with somebody who's omniscient, who's all-knowing? Mm, let's see if I... I mean, even he knows the 1% question on the 1% club. If you don't watch Saturday night TV, you're too godly. You were praying for me, weren't you, that he'd be that good this morning? And you're wondering if your prayer really has been answered at this moment. I know, I got it, I get it. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. But what about the kingdom through me? The kingdom of God through me. I've got really good news for you. I'm a three-point preacher, which means you've figured out that's number three. So there's hope for us. But Jesus set a context for this longing for the God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And it's, the context is here, and it's now, and it's me. When we pray your kingdom come, we're asking, making some profound choices. We are, as we said, surrendering our plans, our preferences, our priorities to God's plans, preferences and priorities. We're asking God to bring his kingdom through us into a broken world somehow. How on earth is that possible? 
I'll say that again with the appropriate emphasis. How on earth, not just cliche, how on earth is that possible? Well, I want to say to you today, I believe it's possible for God's kingdom to come when God's people live as kingdom people, governed by kingdom values and priorities. Then the kingdom of God can break into the injustice and the pain and the inequality and the grief in our world. And I want you to know today it's happening all across the world as we speak here. In time zones that have gone through the morning before us or are heading towards the morning, the kingdom of God is coming on planet earth today. We sometimes measure whether we think God's really moving by what we see in this united kingdom of ours. And it's not great sometimes. Let's be honest. But if you've had the privilege of traveling to parts of the world or use your internet to engage with what God's doing in South America or in Africa or in Asia today, you'll see that God is moving. And he's usually moving where there are two things, poverty or persecution, where injustice is causing pain, where greed is causing inequality. God's kingdom is coming where they don't have a national health service. And people say, we need Jesus, otherwise we're going to die. Thank God for our national health service. Thank God they've helped me over the years. But often in this united kingdom of ours, we don't need God as much. I'm not being cheesy here. I'm telling you, we don't need God because we've got a welfare system where we've got a national health service and the politicians this year are going to tell us they're going to put more money into it, but it'll be the same a year from now and five years from now. It's stretched because of the needs in our nation, but we have those things. We're blessed and we wonder why people want to come to our nation. I know why they want to come because I've been to some of their lands and seen the injustice they're living under and the poverty and the persecution. Why wouldn't you? I would want to. And Jesus taught us and the scripture teaches to welcome the alien and the foreigner and the needy. Jesus was a refugee in Egypt as a baby. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? But that's the kingdom breaking into our modern philosophies. I'm not saying that as a political statement because I understand all sides of the argument. But I'm doing it to illustrate to you if the kingdom breaks in, then kingdom feels that people who are in need, need some needs met. And this is happening all across the world. The kingdom of God is coming when people are feeding the hungry and befriending the lonely and clothing the naked. And you do this as a church among your community. I know that. And you're housing the homeless and comforting the bereaved. And when you're giving hope to those despairing and loving the marginalized and freeing the captives and sharing the good news, this is the kingdom coming. Because Jesus' opening sermon after his, his time in the wilderness, his baptism, and he goes to his home church in Nazareth. And Jesus is back. He's been away for six weeks. Don't know what he's been doing, but he was just off in the mountains for six weeks. And then apparently he had a little visit down to his cousin, uh, John, down at the River Jordan. And he's back. So let's ask Jesus to read the scriptures for us today. It's lovely to have Jesus. Remember Jesus? He's Joseph and Mary's son. Joseph died some years ago and Jesus kept the business going. And Jesus made the chairs you're sitting on, by the way, because he was a carpenter. You know those windows we open? Jesus made the windows and the doors. So Jesus, would you please come and bring us a reading? We've been studying the, the book of Isaiah recently, Jesus. So would you mind just reading us something from Isaiah? So he turns to Isaiah 61 and he says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. For he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He's called me to set captives free, to release the oppressed, to open the eyes of the blind, to declare the day of the Lord's favour and the vengeance of our God. And then he closed Isaiah 61 and he said this to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Friends, they knew what he was saying because they tried to stone him. They took him out to stone him, but he just walked through the crowd and away. Why? They knew he was saying, I am the anointed one. I am the one who binds up the brokenhearted and opens the eyes of the blind and frees the oppressed and sets captives free. That's me. I am Messiah the anointed one, and they were scandalized. It was shocking. How could someone say that in our little synagogue here in Nazareth in the northern part of what we now know as Israel? And he said it because that's what the kingdom does. And so the kingdom through me may not be as extravagant as we're seeing in some parts of the world, but praise God that you're doing that as Today you'll feed people after church and you'll do it on Wednesday and all those great things you're doing as a church is the kingdom coming. It's important. But what about you and what about me? Maybe we volunteering to do that might be the kingdom coming through us, but what about where you are, where you live, where you work, the people you engage with? You're walking as a kingdom person every day in the other kingdom environment of our world. And there's only two kingdoms, according to 1 Peter 2, kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. He's transported us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Cornell West, the Christian author says this, if the kingdom of God is in you, you should leave a little bit of heaven wherever you go. I'm beginning to wrap up. God wants to change our world and the reality is he does it one person at a time. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm guessing that my guess might be accurate. I would suggest as many as 80% of us here today came to faith, not as I did because I grew up in the church, but because somebody showed Jesus to me. Somebody brought me into an encounter with the kingdom when I met them and I saw something in their life and I heard something in their words and their concern for me or something they did to show that they cared and suddenly the kingdom is in proximity to my life. And I want to say to you today as I begin to wrap up that surrender is the way we find God and the laying down of our lives is the way the kingdom comes in our lives. And that will be the constant challenge for me as I continue to live and serve Jesus, that this week there'll be things that in my kingdom suit me. And there's going to be moments where Jesus says, just put what you want aside. I want this person to have some of your time. There's times even in my role which engages with hundreds of our ministers across the country where somebody sends me a text. and say, Stuart, you have a chance of a phone call. And I'm thinking, I wanted to watch the football. Or I had a long day. Oh, I've had ministers nagging me all day. I don't want another one nagging me. But the kingdom is saying, well, maybe somehow Jesus can meet them today through me. God, I was saying to Amanda, God taught me something just in the last 10 days. I, I had one day where I was highly discouraged. I was so discouraged. I felt really low, really emotional. And I felt the Spirit of God say to me, the enemy's trying to discourage you. 
And he gave me a strategy that I made a decision, I'm going to try to follow it through as much as I can, that every day, and I did it that day, every day the enemy discourages me, I'm going to pray and say, Lord, who can I encourage? And think of, think like, Lord, put somebody on my mind, whether it's one of the ministers I serve or whether it's somebody else, and just pick up the phone, even if they don't answer, to leave a message, say, hey, I'm thinking of you today. You're doing great. You're serving Jesus there in Wells, Dave. We love you and Liz, and we're praying for you. You're a blessing to us. So when the enemy, I've told the enemy, you discourage me, I'm going to build somebody else up. Because that's the kingdom. Do you see? When somebody brings you a report that's just gossip, what's the kingdom? You say to them, do you know I love you enough to tell you the truth, you really shouldn't be sharing that. That isn't going to build people up. It's going to tear down. Let's pray about that together. Not judging, but loving. I love the prayer of Ignatius of Loyola, an 18th century Spanish priest, who said this, Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will. All I have and call my own, you have given all to me, To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. And that's what Jesus modeled. He surrendered his life on a cross for all humanity so that we could live free in God's wonderful kingdom. And so maybe our prayer today, before I pray and wrap up, is Lord... As you live in me, please also live through me. Can we pray that together this morning? Let's bow our heads for a moment before I hand back to Pastor Dave or Neil, whoever's coming to to continue our time together. Maybe we'll just take a moment of pause. Can I give you just 20, 30 seconds to reflect on those things I've shared and then I'll pray and step aside. Heavenly Father, I just want to simply pray that those things that I've shared this morning that were your heart, that these wonderful people would hear, that they would settle deep in their souls. And maybe the things, Lord, that in my enthusiasm I've gone beyond what you wanted to say, help them slip from my memories so that the the seeds of your word that you wanted sown in our hearts and lives today would find good soil and begin to grow as we seek to be kingdom people living in our day-to-day lives as those in whom God dwells by his spirit. Thank you that Jesus the King by his spirit lives within each of us. And when we leave here, the kingdom is going to go into different homes and locations across this great county. And I pray, Father, that you will grant us your peace, your grace and your strength, your help and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live saying every day, your kingdom come, your will be done in and through me as it is in heaven. And to that end, we say amen. Amen.